Sisters and brothers, it's a joy for me to be with you at St. Bart's today, just two weeks before Christmas. If that's news for people, my apologies. Counselling will be offered afterwards. However, one of the challenges for a bishop as they preach in different parishes each weekend is that they don't know the community they are teaching in the same way that a parish minister like Adam does. So I'd like to begin with prayer. Gracious God, we give thanks for our lives, for your love, and for the way you speak to us through your word. Through your spirit, may the words I share now be used by you to bless and encourage. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, from feedback and photos on Facebook, I know that St. Bart's hosted two community carol events last week with a focus on wonder. Quick show of hands. How many of you were there? Yeah, great to see. As I understand it, there was great music, drama and teaching, which invited all present, both people of faith and those on the edge of faith, to pause in the midst of Christmas preparations and wonder about what it is we celebrate on December the 25th. The four weeks before Christmas are called Advent by the Church, an acknowledgement that God did something new 2,000 years ago. The English word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means arrival. Somehow, we share the audacious belief that God arrived on earth in the birth of Jesus. Not simply speaking through prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah and Micah, and not guiding a community through leaders like Abraham, Moses and David, but rather God coming to earth to share life with us as one of us. That first verse of our reading from Hebrews this morning affirms, since the children of flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity. I'd like to highlight what the Gospels tell us about God sharing our humanity in the person of Jesus. The first thing I'd note comes from Luke's Gospel, which tells us that Jesus was carried in the womb of a young woman and he was born. This is a profoundly human experience, for we each grow in the womb of our mothers before birth. I have a hunch that most of us were born in hospitals, that some were born at home, and that no one here was born in a stable. I might be wrong. So we believe that in sharing our humanity, Jesus went through the very risky process of birth, with Mary's waters needing to break, the contraction pains of labour, an umbilical cord needing to be cut, and that then he was breastfed. Jesus did not arrive as a fully formed adult with superpowers dressed like Thor from the Avengers. Jesus was born a baby, in the same way that we are born. And while a baby and very young, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that a corrupt king wanted to kill him. So his parents made the tough decision to leave the country of their birth and go quickly to Egypt. So quite literally, Jesus shared the vulnerability of our humanity and lived for a time as a refugee. This should cause us to pause because we now live in a time when there are more refugees escaping violence and persecution than at any previous time in human history. We understand that Jesus ate in the same way that we have to eat. The Gospel of Luke tells us that at the last meal he shared with his friends before dying, he took bread and wine, blessed these things, and suggested that whenever this was done in the future, he should be remembered. 2,000 years later, The church around the world does this today in a variety of forms of Holy Communion, and we will do this this morning. 
Later in Luke's gospel, after his resurrection, we're told that Jesus asked his astonished disciples if they had any food. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it. Broiled fish. We also understand that Jesus had to sleep as we need to sleep, and that he once did this on a boat with his head on a pillow in the midst of a great storm, described in Mark's gospel. Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus learned as a child, even as we learned when we were children. But there were times when he also appeared to learn as an adult. In the same way, I think we should continue to learn throughout our adult lives. I particularly note the dialogue between Jesus and an unnamed Syrophoenician woman, which is described in Mark's gospel. In this she said, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus appeared to learn something new from her that he hadn't known before. It may seem an obvious thing to affirm, but Jesus also taught, as many are gifted to teach in our time. There was his Sermon on the Mount, described in three chapters of Matthew's Gospel, and the Sermon on the Plain, described by Luke. But I find the most memorable teaching of Jesus in his parables. Quite literally, they are stories that have layers of meaning, and because they are stories, I think we remember them better. So I wonder which of his parables have been significant in your journey of life and faith, and which continue to be significant now. For me, the prodigal son in Luke's gospel continues to teach that God's love is more than I can ever understand. Also in Luke, the parable of the Good Samaritan continues to teach that people of faith are called to respond to human need even when this is costly. In Matthew's gospel, the parable of the sower suggests that we should be good soil. And also in Matthew, the parable of the leaven teaches us to be hidden in the midst of community being used by God to help it rise. The Gospels tell us that Jesus loved much in the same way that we love, only his love appears to have been bigger and more generous than ours. For he did not run away when lepers came near. He did not reject the touch of a notorious woman. He took children in his arms instead of chasing them away. And he loved God so much that he used the intimate Aramaic word Abba when praying. If you don't love someone or something, it's unlikely that you'll grieve. And because Jesus loved, he also grieved. I think this is well remembered in John's Gospel, which affirms that Jesus began to weep when he saw his friend Mary grieving the loss of her brother Lazarus. Luke's Gospel also remembers Jesus weeping for the city of Jerusalem when he approached it for the last time. The Gospels tell us that Jesus affirmed people when they needed to be affirmed, and that he critiqued them when they were doing the wrong thing, in much the same way that we do in our personal and professional lives. On one occasion, Jesus did this to the same person in a relatively short space of time. Matthew's Gospel affirms that Jesus called Peter a rock on which the future church would be built, and that the keys of the kingdom would be given to him. However, four verses later, Jesus is remembered calling Peter Satan and a stumbling block because Peter had suggested that sacrifice would not be necessary. It's tempting to think that Jesus was never afraid, but fear surely is part of being human. And the synoptic gospels give good insight into the fear that Jesus had towards the end, when they remember him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Take this cup away from me, he prayed. Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel. Take this cup away from me, because what you want me to do is going to be hard. It's going to be awful. It's going to kill me. 
But after he'd prayed, take this cup away from me, he concluded with not my will, but yours. A prayer possibly for all of us. Lord, not my will, but yours. After Gethsemane, we know that things went badly for Jesus. He was betrayed by a close follower, abandoned by his closest friends, accused falsely, whipped unjustly, and then nailed to a cross like a criminal. Perhaps this is also part of being human. For we can, in hopefully less extreme ways, feel betrayed, abandoned, and lied about. According to Matthew's Gospel, as the end drew near, Jesus even felt abandoned by God, for he is remembered saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And then Jesus died. In many ways, the most certain thing for all human beings after birth is their death, and so Jesus died. Having affirmed elements of the humanity of Jesus, let's now consider the scriptural teaching about his divinity. I want to begin by affirming that we believe Jesus was promised by God through many Jewish prophets and that he was longed for by the Jewish community for hundreds of years. The prophet Isaiah speaks of this most poetically in the familiar words, for a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Whenever I read or hear those words, I hear in my head Handel's musical setting of them in his famous oratorio. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Though we believe Jesus was born in the same way that we were born, we do not believe he was conceived in the same way that we were. The Nicene Creed written in the 4th century suggests that for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. Luke's Gospel tells us that an angel called Gabriel came to a young girl called Mary to let her know that the Holy Spirit would come upon her. And the power of the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. And because of this, she would conceive a baby. This extraordinary and unique initiative from God may have gone unnoticed if there had not been some acknowledgement by others. There was no TV in those days and no Facebook. So how could people know what was happening? And who would the news be communicated to anyway? My hunch is that God did not study marketing and probably didn't need to. For God did not go to the most powerful leaders of the time to give them dreams or visions, but rather send angels to shepherd nobodies on a hillside and a star to some no-name foreigners who studied astronomy. The unwashed shepherds were the first to come and acknowledge Jesus, and then the magi who came from the east with their gifts. Forty days after the birth, Joseph and Mary took the baby Jesus to Jerusalem to be presented in the temple. And while, they were, while there, two remarkable old people, Anna and Simeon, each recognised that Jesus was the promised one of God. The song that Simeon is remembered to have sung is offered at Anglican services of evening prayer. And we use these words. Now, Lord, you let your servant go from here in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. Mine eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people. Everyone else at the temple that day seemed not to notice or pay much attention. So Mary and Joseph were able to return to Nazareth quietly with the baby. 
30 years then went by before John the Baptist recognised and acknowledged that Jesus was the promised one. And that acknowledgement was endorsed by God after Jesus was baptised. A voice came from heaven saying, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. In his three years of ministry on earth, Jesus taught controversially. And people from all walks, walks of life listened because quite clearly he was supernaturally empowered by God to work miracles. In the same way that I asked earlier what parables speak to you, I'd ask now which of the miracles cause you to wonder. Would it be that time when Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding? Or the time he fed 5,000 people using five loaves and two fish? Would it be that time he's remembered healing a leper? The time he healed a blind man? The time he healed a bleeding woman? The time he healed a paralysed man lowered by his friends through the roof? Would it be the time when he drove out a group of demons from a man possessed? Or the time he walked on water? The time when he stilled a storm? Or the time he resurrected a little girl from death with the gentle words, Talitha kum, which means little one, get up. When affirming the humanity of Jesus, I spoke about him dying, which is a physical experience we will all have at some stage. Matthew remembers the last words of Jesus on the cross, expressing a feeling of being abandoned by God. And that's a powerful thing for us to think about. That things could go so wrong, that life could become so awful, that the profoundly human Jesus, the profoundly divine Son of God, had a sense of being abandoned. In John's Gospel, however, the last remembered words of Jesus from the cross do not speak of desolation or abandonment, but rather astonishingly of success. For John remembers Jesus saying, It is finished, before he bowed his head and died. That phrase, it is finished, suggests more than a human life being over, but rather a project, a mission, a purpose being completed. I think that mission and purpose will be unpacked further in preaching next week. The gospel witness to the resurrection of Jesus is foundational for the church. For on the third day we believe that Jesus rose from the dead and met Mary at the tomb. We believe that Jesus met the disciples who had locked themselves in a house because they were overwhelmed by fear. He simply appeared in the midst of them. We believe that Jesus met two people walking on the road to Emmaus and made himself known to them in the breaking of bread. And we believe that Jesus met a group of his friends while they were fishing before sharing breakfast with them on a beach. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, we read about Jesus giving his followers the task of going to all nations to make disciples. And this great commission underpins the vision that St. Bart's has to make and mature disciples of Jesus. Immediately after giving that commission, Jesus then promised he would be with us always, even to the end of the age. And I think we particularly find this through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. For we believe that after his ascension, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit into the life of the church at Pentecost. And that same Holy Spirit continues to empower and guide in your life and mine, continues to bring life to the church and life to the world. Surely this is good news. As the prophet Isaiah foretold long ago, a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. Amen.